This reading is from John chapter 14 at verse 12. Very truly, I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works that I have been doing, and they will do even greater things than these because I am going to the Father. And I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. You may ask me for anything in my name, and I will do it. If you love me, keep my commands, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever, the Spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Before long, the world will not see me anymore, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. On that day, you will realize that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. Whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. The one who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love them and show myself to them. Then Judas, not Judas Iscariot, said, But Lord, why do you intend to show yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus replied, Anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. My Father will love them, and we will come to them and make our home with them. Anyone who does not love me will not obey my teaching. These words you hear are not my own. They belong to the Father who sent me. All this I have spoken while still with you. But the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled, and do not be afraid. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Hey, good morning, friends. Welcome to Trinity Community Church. It is so, so good to see you. I'm so glad you're here this morning. We are starting a new series called Life in the Spirit, where we are looking at the person of the Holy Spirit, who He is, what He does, and also what it means to be Spirit-filled as individuals and as a church. Now, if you, if you know some of my story, you might know that I grew up in a church in South Kansas City that is, it is known for its, uh, shall we say, unique emphasis on the Holy Spirit and spiritual gifts. This is a church that became well-known in the 80s for um, a sort of prophetic revival and this was a church where it was, it was very normal for people to get prophetic words that would, would come to pass days later. There were physical healings. There were people having dreams and visions on the regular. And I believe a lot of this was from the Lord. I mean, there was some, some wild stuff. There was a lot of dysfunction. But I, I do truly believe that this was a, a mini-revival in Kansas City in the 80s. I mean, even the other charismatic churches in town were like, that is a charismatic church. I mean, it was a wild place to grow up. And I remember one time I was sitting with my parents in church. We met in a uh, converted soccer arena where they took plastic chairs and just put them on top of the AstroTurf. And they had banners hanging from the ceilings, you know, national flags and banners. If you see purple banners, you're in a charismatic church. Uh, I remember the first time I went in Hickman's gym, I was like, I feel so at home. <laughs> and so we're, we're in this church, and the church was also into these really dramatic reenactments. I don't know if this was just a thing in the 80s or 90s, but they would do these skits, 
in plays, acting out biblical scenes, and yet there was so much supernatural activity going on that you never really know. Like, so one time, so I'm in church, and I'm sitting with my family, and there's an, an open seat next to me and then the aisle, and it's a prayer or some kind of transition, and I feel somebody sit down next to me. And so I kind of open one eye and look over, and this man is tall with long, flowy brown hair, sparkling blue eyes. He's wearing a white robe and brown sandals. And on his hands and wrists, there are bloodstains. And any, any normal, you know, reasonable adult would have concluded we're about to do, you know, another dramatic reenactment or something. But when you're eight, <laughs> I looked over to my sister and I said, do you see him too? <laughs> so it's a wild place to grow up, but a, but a beautiful place to be. I mean, these were people that, that loved God. These were people that knew how to pray, and they knew how to worship. And they were lacking in some important areas, but they were full of the Spirit. And when I say full in the Spirit, I'm not just talking about dreams and visions and prophecy and the really wild stuff, but the way in which the Holy Spirit was pursued and, and, and invited and, and welcomed. Even though He's always among us, there is a sense of longing for more of the presence of God, and that overflowed in the hearts of people and in the ways that we worshiped and we prayed. I mean, it was truly a beautiful thing. And this series that we're starting is a way for us as pastors to look at some really important questions. Who is the Holy Spirit? How, is we as a, how are we as a church going to embrace spiritual gifts? What is that going to look like here? And we're not going in some new direction. We're not teaching anything that we've never taught before. We've taught in bits and pieces over the last four and a half years. We just felt that the time is right for us to do a sustained, deep biblical study on the things of the Spirit and life in the Spirit. I was telling one of my pastor friends last week that we were getting ready for this series and I was studying for it. And he said, that's great. I I love to hear that. How many people do you think you'll lose? Well, you know. We have had a really full parking lot, so I don't know, maybe this will help, but um, unfortunately, it is true that so much division, confusion, disunity has been caused by the way churches and believers have expressed their views of the Holy Spirit. And yet, throughout the scriptures, we see that the Holy Spirit brings unity. I mean, it's one of the main roles of the Holy Spirit in the New Testament. It's to bring unity. You see the Holy Spirit and unity paired together over and over again. So wherever there's disunity, that's not the work of the Spirit. That's the work of man misinterpreting the work of the Spirit. And so our goal in this series is to cultivate a deeper unity by doing this thorough biblical study on life in the Spirit. And so today's just a quick introduction, a a big overview. There's three things I want to look at today. Who is the Holy Spirit? What is life in the Spirit? And then how do we become a Word and Spirit church? So let's pray once more and we'll dive into it. Father God, I just thank you for this incredible, wonderful church, for how much of your presence is among us and within us and how much life there is in this room that you are working in each one of our lives in such a profound and beautiful way. Spirit of the living God, we welcome you and ask you to come in fullness. Let us know and feel your presence. Father, my body feels so weak today, but 
You are strong. My breath feels so weak, but you are the breath of God. My voice is weak, but your voice transforms every generation. And so we need you, Holy Spirit. Open our eyes that we may see wonderful things in your word. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Now the passage that we're looking at today, John 14, we're going to look at John 16 next week as well. And both of these passages come on the night of Jesus's betrayal. They come during what's known as the Last Supper. Jesus has gathered his disciples in the upper room for this Passover meal, and he's preparing them for his death and ultimately his resurrection. But he's preparing them for life without him. And he says these words, beginning in verse 15. If you love me, keep my commands. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever, the Spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Before long, the world will not see me anymore, but you will see me. Because I live, you will also live. On that day, you will realize that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. And so you can put yourself in the disciples' shoes, sandals, and imagine what they're going through in this moment. They've been with Jesus for three years, walking with him, eating with him. They've seen his teaching. They've seen his miracles. They've seen healings, remarkable healings. And yet now he's saying, I'm going away. I'm leaving. He's saying, I won't leave you alone, but I'm leaving this place. But don't fear. I'm sending the Holy Spirit an advocate, a a comforter who will be with you. I won't leave you as orphans, and he will give you peace. This is really the first explicit teaching on the Holy Spirit from Jesus. And he's going to continue throughout this, this, uh, what's called an upper room discourse, this, this last discourse of Jesus. He continues to come back to the Holy Spirit as he prepares us for life without him physically on earth. But this is some of the most important teaching on the Holy Spirit anywhere in the Scriptures. And so who is the Holy Spirit? Simply, He is God. He is the third member of the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. As a church, we have a a statement of beliefs and a confessional statement that we we hold to. Uh, Both of them are on the website. The statement of beliefs is just a shorter version, and the full confessional statement's a little bit longer. But what we say about the Holy Spirit in that statement. These words were originally written by Dr. Greg Allison, who teaches uh, theology at Southern Seminary. He's a good friend of our, our leadership team. And he writes, we believe that the Holy Spirit is the supernatural agent who applies salvation to sinful people, regenerating, indwelling, sanctifying, and sealing them until the day of Christ's return. He is the third person of the Trinity, fully God, eternally proceeding from both the Father and the Son, The Holy Spirit bears persuasive testimony to the realities of Jesus Christ. He convicts the world of sin and its consequences. He regenerates and brings repentance and faith to sinful people. He indwells believers, gives them assurance of salvation, and sanctifies them. 
Christ baptizes all Christians with the Holy Spirit, thus incorporating them into the body of Christ. And the Spirit gives gifts to them and unites them for mutual service within the church. The Spirit bears the fruit of Christian character in the lives of believers, and He guides, instructs, and empowers them for godly living and service. I mean, that's just money, right? That's just a money paragraph. I can hear my counselor being like, why do you still say money? What's going on there? When did you stop developing as an adolescent? We're going to look at all of these roles of the Holy Spirit next week, but just focus on who He is. He is God. He is eternal. He is our advocate. He advocates on our behalf before the Father. He is our comforter, our counselor, literally our attorney. He's called the Spirit of Truth in our passage. He inspired the writing of Scripture. He illuminates our minds to the meaning of Scripture. He's called the breath of the Almighty in Job 33. He's called the power of the highest in Luke 1. He's the Spirit of the Father in 1 Corinthians and the Spirit of Christ in Romans. He's the Spirit of life in Revelation 11, the Spirit of grace in Hebrews 10, the Spirit of wisdom in Ephesians 1, the Spirit of power in Isaiah 11, the Spirit of holiness in Romans 1, the Spirit of glory in 1 Peter 4, I could go on. There's like 40 different names that are used for the Holy Spirit. But what we learn is that everything that is true about God is true of the Holy Spirit. That's something we learn in in theology. One, it's that every attribute of God exists within each member of the Trinity. So if God is faithful, it means the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit is faithful. God is all-powerful. That means Father, Son, and Holy Spirit is all-powerful. And too often we can think of the Holy Spirit as just an an impersonal force. In 2021, there was a a big survey done of of Bible-believing, church-attending Christians, and 58% of those Christians said that they believe the Holy Spirit is an impersonal force and not a person. I mean, more than half say impersonal force, not person. But the Holy Spirit, it's not an it. He is a he. The Holy Spirit is a person over and over and over. We see it in the Scriptures. And what's more is the the Spirit is constantly given the language of personality, of personhood. He speaks in 16 different places in the New Testament. Almost all of them are in Acts. He teaches or testifies in five instances. He can be sinned against. He can be lied to. He can be insulted. Further, He encourages and He strengthens. All of this shows us that He is a person. He is God the Spirit. But it's interesting when Jesus says later in in John, in this same bit of teaching, John 16, He says, I am going away. This is 16 verse 7. Very truly I tell you, it is for your good that I'm going away. Unless I go away, the advocate will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Now, it'll take a whole week, I think, to look at this verse. How can that be true? How can it be better to not have Jesus physically on earth right next to us? And the answer is that Jesus is now within us. The Spirit of Christ, the Spirit of God now dwells in each and every believer all over the face of the earth. So we no longer have Jesus in one place, but we have the Spirit of God in millions of places all over the world. 
And Jesus says, this is better. In this season, this is what I want, the Spirit of God filling every one of you, doing the things that I do all over the world. Now, let's look at that second thing. What is life in the Spirit? If we go back to our our chapter, verse 12, it says, Very truly, Jesus says, Whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing, and they will do even greater things than these because I am going to the Father. I mean, can you believe that? Jesus is saying, you will do the work that I am doing, and in fact, you'll even do greater works than me. Now, that's mind-blowing, because I don't know about you, I know that I don't have the power of Jesus. I know that I don't have the, the abilities, even the trust in the Father and the dependence on the Spirit. But what Jesus is saying is, you together will continue my work, but as you are spread all over the globe, you will be able to do so much more with my spirit in you than I can do if I remain on earth forever. And so now these little Christ, that's what Christian means, little Christ are all over the world, full of the spirit of God, doing what Jesus did, teaching, caring for the poor and needy, healing the sick, encouraging the discouraged, binding up the, the brokenhearted. And we see all of this in the book of Acts. Everything that Jesus did in the Gospels, we see the Christians do by the power of the Spirit in the book of Acts, even raising the dead at one point. And there's nothing in Scripture to indicate that God intended that only for the first century. Instead, everything in the Scriptures indicates to us, as I hope we'll see over the next 12 plus weeks, that we should hope, anticipate, and pray for everything that we see in the life of Jesus to continue in our own church today. Everything should point us to all of that being prayed for and anticipated by the power of the Holy Spirit today. The reason for that is because God hasn't changed. He's still compassionate. He's still merciful. He's still all-powerful. He still longs to see his lost sheep gathered to himself, and he will do it. He is still faithful. The same spirit that was on Jesus is now on you, every one of you. And so life in the spirit, what we mean when we say that is praising God the Father and Jesus Christ through the power of the spirit. We mean being reborn by the spirit, being baptized in the spirit as we put faith in him, growing into Christ's likeness through the spirit, worshiping God in the power and the freedom of the spirit. Life in the Spirit means praying to God with both contemplative peace and and bold expectation. It means belonging to a local church which is infused with Spirit-filled people. You know, if you want more of the Holy Spirit, get around more Spirit-filled believers. The more you spend time with Spirit-filled people, the more you get of the Holy Spirit. Serve your community with spirit-given gifts, mercy, service, teaching, administration, evangelism, faith, prophecy, tongues, interpretation, all of the gifts that are described in the New Testament. This is life in the spirit. This is what we are after. And for me, this is, this is the stuff. This is what I'm, what I'm longing for in this church and in my own life. I didn't go into ministry to be a, a, a religious teacher or a nonprofit leader or a faith-based counselor. Those are all great and important roles. But what pastors exist to do is to help people cultivate a hunger for God. To help you, to encourage you, to, to 
urge you on to keep going, keep pressing in, keep, keep seeking the face of God. This is the heart of all of our ministry leaders here. It's not about getting a job done or putting on an event or anything like that. It's about seeing hearts transformed and being caught up in something so much bigger than ourselves. It's about participating in the work of God in a place that we love. And so by life in the Spirit, we just mean life together in God's presence. And as Cam said last week, when we see God as He truly is, worship just comes naturally. Prayer comes naturally. It's the natural overflow of just looking at Christ and looking at the Father by the power of the Spirit. And that's what we mean by life in the Spirit. And I believe that if we're experiencing this transformation and this life together, that we will be shaped into a different and more powerful, more beautiful kind of church. And so that's the third thing. What would a word and spirit church look like? What we're after is a word-centered and spirit-filled church. Now, you may have noticed that churches tend to fall into one of two camps, just the word camp and the spirit camp. And if that's new to you, I want to I put up some terms on the screen. Um, so we've got kind of word churches on the, your left, spirit churches on your right. And so word churches tend to emphasize the sermon, where spirit churches emphasize the worship. Word churches emphasize structure, where spirit churches major on spontaneity. In word churches, knowledge is the thing. In spirit churches, it's personal experience. Word churches love to focus on what God has done. Spirit churches focus on what God will do. Word churches focus on biblical wisdom. Spirit churches focus on spiritual discernment. Word churches focus on embracing suffering. Spirit churches expect healing. And my point is not that we're trying to move from one thing to the other, not even that we're trying to like find just the right mix of each one, but rather that we want to be both. We want to learn from both groups. We want to draw on the best resources of both groups because both are so deeply biblical. I've got more. Word churches focus on discipleship. Spirit churches focus on renewal. Word churches love the slow and ordinary, the process. Spirit churches love the sudden and surprising, the breakthrough. Word churches trust that God has spoken. Spirit churches trust that God is speaking. Word churches have this potential for a fear of emotion where spirit churches have a potential to fear intellectualism. Word churches can be potentially skeptical while spirit churches can be potentially gullible. Leadership in the word church looks like seminary training. In the spirit church, it looks like spiritual gifts. And again, we want the best of both of these words, worlds. Now, what about worship? I've got more slides. Bear with me. In the Word Church, worship is about reflecting on and proclaiming truth. In the Spirit Church, it's about enjoying God's presence. And to both, we say yes and amen. In the Word Church, it's, there's a focus on transcendence. In the Spirit Church, there's a focus on nearness. Word churches love liturgy. Spirit churches love expressiveness. Word churches tend to sing about God. Spirit churches tend to sing to God. Word churches have a risk of no emotion. Spirit churches have a risk of manipulating emotion. You know, you could just say word churches, three-minute songs. Spirit churches, 12-minute songs. Like an hour and five-minute service, highly optimized, pack a lunch. Some of those services from my childhood are still going. 
the guy with the beanie and no shoes is still stretching out that chorus. Bring it home, brother. We're just going to do this one time. Really? What about prayer? In the Word Church, prayer is monologue. It's just one-way communication. In the Spirit Church, though, it's dialogue, expecting to hear back from God. The Word Church is rightly emphasizes confession of sin, and the Spirit Church rightly emphasizes seeking deliverance. Word Churches tend to have lower expectations, while Spirit Churches have higher expectations. Word churches focus on seeking wisdom and peace while spirit churches focus on healing and renewal. Word churches are really good at accepting God's silence and spirit churches are really good at persisting in prayer. And I'll say it again, we want both. We want the best of both of these worlds because this is simply the biblical model. This is what the scriptures should lead us to, what the New Testament should convince us of. That we're not fully spirit-filled until we're word-centered because the spirit illuminates the word. And we're not really word-centered if we're not spirit-filled because how much of the word is praising and lifting up the spirit? And so after I, I grew up in this spirit church, you know, I went off to college, I started ministry, and for like over a decade, I was just in basically the word-only world. And everything about it was extremely helpful to me. I mean, the, the structure, the stability, the traditions, I thrived on all of that, and I still do. It was so formative for me. But I'll be honest, I missed the worship. I missed the prayer. I missed even the more, like, wild spiritual gifts after a while, you know? And sadly, there was a sense in some of those churches that we could do this without the Spirit. And you look around and say, look at all the people, it's working. Why would we take a risk and seek more of the Holy Spirit? But the Trinity is not, as I like to remind graduates of my seminary, it's not Father, Son, and Holy Scripture. It's Holy Spirit. And so at the end of 2016, I sat down with my pastor in Louisville, my friend, and I told him it'd be my last year on staff. We're going to move home. We're going to plant a church. We're gathering a group of friends. And over the months and years that followed, we began to just ask and beg God that he would make us into a word and spirit church, a church where these two worlds didn't feel so far apart. And by God's grace, I deeply believe that's what's happening in our midst. We have a long, long way to go, but this is the most beautiful, most amazing group of people I've ever been a part of. We've seen so much strength and stability through the power of the gospel, and we've seen so much passion and, and amazing conversions and spiritual life blossom through the power of the Spirit. I believe God has set this on the hearts of each person on our leadership team, our, our elders and our group leaders. I believe that he's building a church here that can serve the community in this unique way. It's not often that a church can embrace both things. As we've said a number of times, we want both form and fire. We want the form, the, the structure, the, the stability that God allows us, and the fire, the passion and power and delight of God's presence. Because the early church had both. 
They had the form. They had weekly Sunday gatherings. They had daily prayer gatherings. They had elders to provide oversight. They had deacons to serve. They had communion every single week. They even had creeds and catechisms to teach new believers and children. But they also had the fire. I mean, they had passionate worship and prayer. They expected God to break through. They were earnestly seeking the spiritual gifts as Paul commands in 1 Corinthians 14. There was power for ministry and peace in suffering. And I think this is worth giving ourselves to. We do not want to put God in a box. I don't want to just play church for the next 30 years. That's my retirement timeline, by the way. I'll be 68 and a half. I want to go part-time. Cam and Mark are still young men at that point. Joe, baby, we're playing some pickleball at the senior center. You and me, dynamic duo. Man, I don't want to be in control, right? We don't want a work of man. We don't have to be afraid of the Holy Spirit. And someone might say, well, is this safe? And to paraphrase C.S. Lewis, who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe, but he's money. (laughs) (laughs) There's nothing to be afraid of except settling for half of what God's offering us. Why would we settle for half of what God is holding out to his people? Jesus tells us that the Spirit is for our good. Now, in a moment, we're going to take communion, and it's a way for us to remember something, that it's only good for the Spirit to come if Jesus is first come. The Spirit's only for our good if Jesus is first here on earth, living and dying and rising again for us. There is no Spirit filled without Christ coming. We cling to that, and we love that as a church. In a moment, communion will be a way for us to celebrate that Jesus laid down his life that was necessary to draw us back to the Father's heart, to forgive our sins, to pour out the Spirit, to unite us to one another as believers. And so we are not going to stop clinging to that gospel. But the gospel is not meant to be an end in itself. It's to lead us further and deeper into the presence of God. This is how Jesus said it. We'll close here. The Holy Spirit will teach you all things and remind you of everything I have said to you. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Do not be afraid. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for who you are. That you would organize such a beautiful redemption is this, sending your own son to die on the cross, the place where we deserve to be, to bring us back to yourself. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you willingly went, the shepherd laying down his life for the sheep, becoming the lamb, so that we might rise with you. Holy Spirit of God, we ask for more understanding more of your presence, more of your goodness in our lives. We thank you and we praise you, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Would you, would you set us free?
Would you grow us? Would you shape us? Would you sanctify us? Would you set us free from the old ways of life that are clinging to us? Lord God, we love you so, so much, all in response to the love that you first have lavished on us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.